Hi, everyone. I can't tell you how excited I am for you to listen to this conversation with special guest Adam Carroll. He is an internationally recognized financial literacy expert and author of Winning the Money Game, 30 Days to 1K, and Mastery of Money for Students. He is a two-time TED Talk speaker with one of his talks now surpassing 6 million views. He's the creator of the Broke, Busted, and Disgusted documentary, which has been played in hundreds of high schools and colleges and is featured on CNBC and available on iTunes as well. He is also the founder and curator of www.masteryofmoney.com and a contributor to the Huffington Post. And Adam is presented at over 750 college and university campuses, hundreds of leadership symposiums, and countless local and regional events, in addition to the podcast interviews that he's done and also the content that he creates on his own YouTube channel. The reason that I wanted to connect with Adam was because his passion is helping people build a bigger life and not a bigger lifestyle. So I knew that we had a lot in common. We were both very interested in doing exactly that, helping people lead a bigger life, or what I would say is live a life of purpose, not a bigger lifestyle, and ultimately help you on your journey to creating your financial freedom system. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think. Let's get into it. Today, I'm excited to have special guest Adam Carroll with me to help blast away debt in record time and achieve financial freedom. Before we start today's episode, I want to ask, if you like our podcast, if you enjoy this episode or you find value in what we share with you today, please leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. This helps get the show out to more people. It's free to do, and I really appreciate you doing that, so thanks. I want to jump right into conversation with Adam. So on my end, I was contacted by someone who thought you'd be a great guest for my podcast. And once I started looking into the accolades that you've earned, the topics that you discuss, I knew that it was going to be a really good fit, a really good conversation. And I had to sit down here and record it for people to see. So Adam, can you please tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, Matt, uh, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. This is one of the things that I love to do more than anything is teach. And so your, your platform provides me the opportunity to do that. So thank you. Um, as I mentioned just there, I'm, I'm an educator. I'm a teacher just like you. Um, I've been teaching financial education since 2004. And way back then, I did it because I was trying to make my mess my message. You know, I was a, a, an in-debt recent college graduate in the late 90s, in the early 2000s, I was uh, a new dad, a business owner. I was trying to figure things out. And I kept thinking, why, why didn't I learn this stuff 10 years ago? And why not now? Why don't I teach people um, that are in the same shoes I was 10 years ago? And so about that point in time, I started speaking on college campuses all across the country in the US. And um, in the last 15 years, I've been on 750 different college campuses. I've been everywhere from East Coast to West Coast and everywhere in between. And I found that the the lion's share of people that I met were deep in debt. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to go help people, how can I help them the best? And I think it's through the work that I'm doing today, which is showing people how to blast away debt to create real financial freedom. And uh, I'm excited for the conversation today with you. I appreciate that. And I think that, I mean, coming from where I am, like, that was my idea of how I sort of started investigating what it means to live financially free, um, mm -hmm. kind of just with the experience that I had. And then that turned into, for me, it's more so sharing because I'm still learning a lot uh, with your expertise. Um, you're able to teach people and, and you just look at some of the um, videos that you've put out, some of the books that you've written, some of the the talks and speeches and presentations that you've done to people. And it's obvious that you deliver on that message. But my question to get started, I guess, would be for you, what is your definition of financial freedom? What does financial freedom mean for you? And also what does financial freedom look like for you? Yeah. Boy, each of these is an interesting question. Um, and I'm going to start with the first one. What does financial freedom mean to me? Mm -hmm. um, I, I have always long held that wealth is defined differently by everyone. And just as financial freedom is, being rich to some people is, you know, has a certain connotation. Financial freedom, though, for me is, is um, the idea that money is irrelevant in your life. 
And this is sort of the pinnacle point I think that I'm trying to get people to is if you can get to a point of money irrelevancy where you're not having to go in and look at every single purchase and every single investment and know where the money is coming from and where it's going, all important things. But for most people, they're, the amount of stress that they take on in their life is directly related to how much money plays a central part in their life. And whether that's paying off debt or need to make more so I can live a better lifestyle or whatever it may be. And so for my wife and I, we got to a point where um, we are at that financial freedom point where money is largely irrelevant for us. And essentially what it means is we have, we have eliminated the majority of our debts to the point where the payments on those debts are so minuscule that it doesn't take very much at all to cover all of our monthly expenses. And we have built systems in place that provide that amount of money every single month. So in effect, we have made money irrelevant. We don't worry about what things cost or how we're going to pay for it because we've built systems to allow for us to do that automatically. Cool. If I can jump in, like for me, I'm so glad you used that word system because yeah. I think that when I created this YouTube channel and created the podcast, um, everybody thinks that when you have a business, a name is important. And in right. some ways it doesn't matter. And in some ways it is important because yeah. it shows and represents who you are and what you stand for. And for me, it was financial freedom system because obviously financial freedom is a goal that I'm going to achieve and I'm creating yeah. and doing that in my life right now. But I wanted it to go deeper than just financial freedom, having money in the yeah. bank, right? For me, it was, I got into this because as I got older, I thought I should have more money in the bank and that number should grow. I right. never went without money. I don't have some like rags to riches story, but yeah. I did um, go through the motions and I just kind of every month, every year, my bank account balance was staying the exact same. There was right. always money there, but there wasn't the money that I thought should be there. Right. Yes. And so I started looking and investigating in some personal finance things that I could do that like I think the regular person can do. And that adds up and compounds over time. Yeah. And so that system is a part of kind of all the different decisions that I've learned go into actually creating financial freedom Totally beyond the personal finance stuff, like, uh, who you hang out with, yeah. what type of job you have, uh, what you do in your spare time, all of those things are connected. So I'm yeah. glad to hear that you're using that. Um, I know for me, I've talked about before, like my YouTube channel, the money that I make every month on my YouTube channel um, goes and, and buys my vehicle. Like it makes my vehicle payments every nice. month. Nice. Um, and then from there, anything that's left over, I invest it. Right. So yeah. that's a system that I've built in place. Um, can you give me an example of one way that you eliminated that debt or in yeah. one way you've created an example system in your life? Yeah, no, no doubt. There's, there's probably two or three I could give you, Matt. And, and I want to touch on it as well. The idea of a system for a lot of people gets lost because they're, they're trying to do multiple different strategies or tactics, but they, they may be trying to do them all disparate of one another. And what you're talking about doing is building a unique system. Like the YouTube channel is a business. The money that it makes covers your car payment. It covers some investment money. That in itself is a system. For me, what I really wanted to figure out was not how to go do everything because there's a lot of advice out there. Um, you know, you're not the only uh, Finlit podcaster or, or or YouTuber out there, and everyone has a little bit different take on what to do. As do I. Um, so my system and and the methodology that I put in place, which we call the Shred Method, was basically questioning. If debt is normal, natural, and good in our society, which it is, everyone is going to say, well, I'm always going to have a mortgage payment or I'll always have a car payment or I'll always have credit card debt. I started questioning, what if I didn't? What if I didn't have any of those debts to pay? How much easier would this money irrelevancy, this financial freedom point be? And so I started really questioning the banker's business model, which I, I don't vilify the banks. They've figured out a very profitable model to use. And you could drive within one mile radius of my house and probably hit 25 different banks or credit unions or lending institutions. Wow. And so they're massive buildings. These are five, $10 million buildings that they're putting up. And I started questioning if they can do that, then they obviously know something that we as the consumer don't. 
because the consumer truly is the bank's compound interest vehicle, right? So my question was, what if I played the bank's game against the bank? What if I figured out the, the, the way the cash flows through our personal economy and through the bank's economy that would allow me to blast away all of my debts much, much faster? And so my system is what I call a 10-year freedom plan. And the 10-year freedom plan involves using the shred method for the first two to four years, which during that amount of time, you're going to blast away all car loans, all credit card debt, student loan debt, if you have it, and you'll start to tackle your mortgage if you're a homeowner. Within four years, you're going to start building an infinite banking uh, policy, which is a high equity cash value life insurance policy, basically. But what it really is in place format is it allows you to eliminate the banks from your environment. Because when you build a big enough bank of money in one of these policies, you can borrow against it for the vehicle, or you could borrow against it to buy a rental property or to pay off your home if you want to. Hmm. And the third step is then once you've built that bank of money and you've got all this equity in your property, now we start investing for massive, passive, permanent cash flow. And these, these might be in syndications. It might be in rental real estate. Uh, you could buy Airbnbs with it. You could do um, intellectual property plays, start a YouTube channel, right? Which you should be doing all the way along. Um, but the goal of that is that massive, passive, permanent stream of income that by the time you hit eight, nine, and 10 years, there should be more than enough money coming in from your massive, passive, permanent streams that more than cover what your monthly expenses are. And the earlier someone gets started doing this in their 20s or 30s, the closer they are to financial freedom and um, you know, living that money irrelevancy life. And that all sounds good. And when I talk to people about the, the same idea, like when yeah. I talk about financial freedom, I get the question so much is like, yeah, that's a great idea. It's incredible. It's way beyond just a good idea. It's incredible. And and see the success stories that you and other people have had um, should be a testimony, but their limiting beliefs and things tear them down and yeah. hold them back from achieving those. Like, yeah. so is that idea of financial freedom using the shred method, using any other method? Like, is that something that is actually something that the regular everyday person can do? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. It, but it, but it does, there's a caveat right on the statement, which is people's mindset has to be right. And they have to have a, some level of consistency to stick with it. You know, the reason that dollar cost averaging works over a very, very, very long period of time is that if people are consistent about it and they have the mindset that I'm going to put 500 or a thousand dollars every single month into an investment and over time it will grow to a big you know, a, a giant sum of money. Right. If they are consistent and they have that mindset, they will do it. But if they have the mindset of, well, I tried that for a year and then the market went down. So I got out because I didn't see, I didn't like seeing my money go down. Mm -hmm. That's a mindset challenge, right? For some people. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to have the mindset, right? That number one, financial freedom is actually available to everyone. Number two, that you may have to adapt or adjust some of your habits and, and decision-making patterns in order to get to the point where financial freedom is an option. Mm -hmm. And number three, the, the goal really should be to continually increase your financial acumen. So you're not just putting blind faith in some advisor that you see once a year, but you're really digging down, listening to shows like yours and getting a fundamental understanding of money because the more understanding we all have, the easier it is to build wealth. I think that's, I don't think that's a stretch to say that those of us who have studied for half, you know, uh, half our lives, but in some cases, five years or 10 years or more, financial freedom is just easier because we understand the game that we're playing. So mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's mindset. And I think it's that, that drive, that desire to continually get better and better. And you mentioned talking about like, your habits or your behavior, I think might've been the term. And yeah. when I looked at some of your videos, like you seem to talk and be very interested in people's behavior when it comes to money totally. and in your Ted talk that I think now is over like 6 million views. Yeah. Um, it's been really cool to see that, um, in your Ted talk, I think the example you talk about with your family and playing that game of monopoly, um, 
really illustrates people's behavior with money. And something that I've seen through my own experience is, yes, for me, it's the last five years when I was just sick and tired of looking at my bank account, and not seeing that balance going up. And yeah. for me, it was like, okay, I need to just stop. I need to look at the habits that I have. I need to yeah. look at where I'm spending my money and more importantly, why I'm spending my money. Right. Um, for me, I have a statement that I've used. I've came up with, I've used it and I, and I really live by it now. And it's money's a tool you get to use to live out your values. Because uh -huh. I think for me, the financial freedom is great, but the purpose behind what you do yes. um, is maybe more important. And so money's a tool. Obviously we know what tools are. We use them for different purposes. Yep. You get to use, you don't have to use it, but we get to use it and to live out our values, to do the things that are important to us, to our friends, to our families, et cetera. So how important is understanding my own or someone's own relationship with money? Like, is that something that is very important or is it just like the habits that you do every single day? Is it the, the upbringing that you had to create yeah. the beliefs that you have about money? Like, are those things important when it comes down to um, creating wealth? I, I think it can't be understated or overstated how important they are. Um, and, and, you know, you, your, uh, what did you call it? Your motto, your, your theory, your philosophy around money, yeah. the statement. Yeah. Just basically money is a tool you get to use to live out your values. Yeah. The values word in that statement is really important for me, I think. And for, for your listeners, um, because if we don't know what we value, mm -hmm. then we'll probably spend money, you know, errantly we'll spend it inefficiently and, and without intention. But for me, family is, is one of my core values. I have five top core values, family, freedom, love, growth, and connection. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, I will make decisions with my money that help support those values. So as an example, family and freedom for me kind of go hand in hand because I want the freedom to spend time with them. And we take wonderful vacations as a family. Typically every couple of years, we'll take a massive vacation, cool. might be gone for a month or more, you know? And, um, for me, if, if the money, and I'm going to use this, I know this is probably an overused example, but if, if my Starbucks habit was preventing me from taking trips with my family and I wasn't cognizant of it, I'd never change it. But if I, if I know that the reason that maybe I don't indulge in that habit or in sports betting or whatever somebody's habits are around money. Um, when I know what my value is, I'm going to change what I do in order to live out that value. That's number one. Right. The, the second part of your question about your relationship to money and your behaviors is really important because most of us don't really fully grasp how subconscious money decisions are and more specifically what the emotions that we feel around money are that may have nothing to do with our current environment, but have everything to do with the house that we were raised in. Right. And, and I'll give you a great example. Um, a friend of mine was raised in a home, divorced parents, and every week mom would go to the, to the mailbox to look for a child support check. And, um, and every Friday that child support check wouldn't be there. And the mom would curse out the dad and, and this uh, friend of mine, he would hear his mom curse out his dad. And he started feeling like, oh, money's just gross. It's like, I don't want to deal with it because it just creates animosity and problems. And, and yet they didn't have, as, they didn't have enough, enough, quote enough. Right. They didn't have enough to live the life that they really wanted. And there was this mentality going around of, well, we'll never have a lot of money, so we might as well spend it now. And just in that statement, you can probably hear it's a very circular logic. Like yeah. we'll never have a lot of money, so we might as well spend it now because we'll never have a lot, so we might as well spend it now. Mm -hmm. And um, it was it was really eye-opening when we started digging into this person's background and history and then digging into like, well, what were you feeling as a kid? And is it was it money or was it the fact that there was like trust issues and letdown and you know, you wanted your dad to be a different person than who he was and those kinds of things. And once we started to uncover that, we could rewrite the relationship to money, which I think most of us need to do. And clearly you've done Matt, because yep. you were tired of seeing your bank balance not grow. So you have to change what that relationship is.
Mm-hmm. I, I think that a lot of people get stuck in the idea of like the story you told and so many other stories out there that it, there always has to be like a huge negative thing to enact change or to bring about change. And for me, right. it wasn't, it was just, I was complacent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that if more people realized through my experience, through other people's experience, um, that I guess that you don't have to have this, all these bad things happen to you to, to take that opportunity and rewrite your story with money. It can be yeah. so empowering. So, um, I hope if anybody's listening to this, um, the people that are listening to this, if you can relate to that story, I should say, um, I, I really hope that this is something that challenges you and this is something that encourages you in order to do and rewrite that story. Yeah. You talked about using, um, money to, um, use, use money as a tool for your values. Basically like for me, I've thought about that decision. Like in some, sometimes I've done like spending tracking and I've been like, Oh, these are, this is where I spend my money. And sometimes I've been able to say, I have this much money in a month coming in and I want to divide it up in percents or in envelopes. And there's so many different ways you can budget those. Yep. Um, or now I'm just to the point where I know what matters to me. I know that this is going to help me live out my values, which, which are faith relationships, health, self-improvement. And then the last one I didn't realize was important to me, but over time, um, after I kind of got those personal core values down, I realized freedom was something that mattered mm. hugely to me. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like I can tell you where I spend my money and why I spend my money and how it enhances my life. How do you justify kind of when you or your family sit down or you decide, make a decision? Um, is there a, a method that you use or is it, again, you know what matters to you, therefore your money is a tool to do those things? Or is it like in my, I, I'm a very visual person. So I have like a flow chart going through in my head. Does this help me do this? Yes, no, yes, okay, right. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna swipe the credit card or I'm going to pay the cash or whatever. Yeah. Do you have a way to, to govern those decisions, I guess? It's really interesting. You ask, we, we don't. And I bet if you ask my wife the same question, she would say, oh, I totally do. <laughs> so, so I say, we don't, she would say I do. Okay. Uh, and, and I don't, there, there's probably something to be learned in that for me as well. Um, here's how I would answer that question. Mm -hmm. I think we go through phases in life and I learned this from a mentor of mine, Jack Canfield, uh, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul and, and The Aladdin Factor and mm -hmm. The Success Principles. Jack said to me one time, Adam, we go through this phase where when you first get out of school, especially, you know, you get your first job, you start making money, you just want to buy stuff because you haven't had stuff most of your life, you know? And, and then adult money too. Adult money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you're not living on $8,000 a year. It's 48 or 50 right. or whatever. Yeah. So you, you go through this phase, you want stuff. And then you're like, this is good, but I want different stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you buy some different stuff and then you start making good money in your late twenties, early thirties. And you're like, I want good quality stuff. So we spend more money on our stuff and then we want better, different stuff. So we buy more stuff. And then you get to a point where candidly, I'm probably at my forties where I'm just like, I just want things that are significant. I don't want stuff anymore. And so your question's a little bit hard for me to answer. And I'm probably being slippery on the answer because the things that I buy today generally are more for like business purpose right. than for me personally, because I would be hundred percent satisfied to have a one bedroom place on a beach and my laptop and that's it. Right. right. Just like the bare minimum that I need. Um, so it's, it's hard to answer, but I think that the, the older I get, the less I want. And even in saying that I have a client who is a multi multi-millionaire probably makes, you know, seven to 10, seven to $10 million a year. And he he's just the other day, I had a conversation with him and I said, you know, how many, how many cars can you fit in your garage? And he said, 12, I'm wishing I had built it a little bit bigger so I could have put more in. And I said, what, have you thought about that? Like, what's the ideal number? Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm thinking like one for every day of the month would be cool. And you know, while that like kudos to him, that's amazing. I, I thought 
I don't know that I would do that. I don't, it doesn't matter how much money I had. I just don't think it would be a priority for me because of the upkeep or the maintenance or the worry or the, you know, whatever the, being attached to these vehicles. So I think it's different for everyone. And I don't really have a measure of that other than does it make my business easier to run? And am, am I having fun using it? I think are my two metrics. Yeah, no need. And, and that, that question was more so for me personally, because yeah, uh, big on systems, I'm big on uh, something like a template, I could say, um, that I can pass on to other people, right? Yeah. So I think that was me just kind of experimenting, getting a chance to talk to somebody um, in this field. It's like, oh, I wonder what this looks like for you. So I yeah. appreciate you uh, going into that a little bit more. I, you know, and, and maybe to answer the question too, Matt, in a different way is that mm -hmm. we, you know, there are some people out there that will create a sinking fund, you know, $200 a month goes into this fund and eventually they'll have enough to buy something. Right. And we do something maybe a little bit similar, but it's not really a sinking fund isolated to one thing. It's more like, Hey, there's a pot of 20 or $30,000 sitting over there that can go towards something. So what do we want it to go towards? Is it a bathroom or model? Is it a rental property? Do we want to throw it at a, at a, uh, an investment of some kind that generates passive income? Um, in some cases it may just be, we haven't gotten furniture in a long time. Let's just go get, pick something out. And I like that idea of having some amount of money that's just sitting there. That's just kind of like your whatever fund. Yeah. Because there are times in your life where I, I think you need to splurge. You need to treat yourself a little bit just to prove you can. Mm -hmm. And it's not when you're deep in debt and, you know, d bills up to your eyeballs. It's like, you've got room and you've got money and you've got options. Um, I think we work towards that. And so there needs to be that, that fund out there that allows you to do it. Yeah. No, yeah. for, for me, um, I just kind of experimented with spare change investing because it was a good YouTube topic yeah, or a video right. for YouTube. But also I was just curious, like how much can your spare change add up? And yeah. for me, it's uh, the exact same thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to just do something incredibly fun with this. And in a year and a half or I so, it. it's like, for me, it's added up to like 1200 bucks. So that could be a trip or that could be whatever, a new I TV. I don't have a TV, so I probably won't buy a new one, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Just whatever I want to do with it. Yes. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we can jump into that. And I, and I love the fact that people listening to this get to see exactly and hear some of the methods that you're doing. So I appreciate the behind the scenes look for sure. And I'm sure that they do. Um, let's jump into this idea. Let's say somebody yep. gave you a bunch of money. I just recorded my last um, podcast episode and it was 10 things you can do with uh, money that you received at Christmas time for those people that are celebrating Christmas or yeah. any other event or holiday, et cetera. Sure. Let's say somebody gave you $100,000. They sold a house and that was your inheritance that you got, something like that. What are a couple things that you would do with that lump sum of money right away that you would be doing to put yourself in a better financial state, to build wealth, to create financial freedom, wherever you want to go with that? Yeah. So I, I'm going to give you three things that I, actually four things that I would probably do here, Matt. Okay. Um, and I don't know that I would do these individually. I think if I were to get a hundred thousand dollars in a lump sum and I, I isolated these four opportunities, this is what they'd be. And then I would define which one I would do. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there is an eight plex that is not far from my house that I've had my eye on for a very long time. And, uh, I believe it would probably be in the five to $600,000 range. So that hundred thousand would be enough to put 20 or 25% down. Right. Um, and, and ideally what I would probably do in this environment is I would ask the owner to sell it to me on contract because they probably have an, an interest rate of 3% and I'd have to go get an interest rate of six and a half or 7% more than likely. So I would, uh, go buy on contract an eight plex. That would be option number one okay. and probably get money at the closing table. You'd have uh, immediate cash flow month after month after month. And you'd be paying down the note to the owners who are selling to you on contract. And then within two years or so, refinance, pull some cash out, get a low rate and continue, right? So mm -hmm. um, that's one thing I would do. Okay. Number two, I would 
look at buying options or selling put options. And this is not for everyone. This is like after years and years of research, but I would sell put options on stocks that I wanted to buy at a discount. And I'm talking about stocks like Disney and Apple and, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, more commonplace S and P 500 stocks, right. but Disney's that it was at its 52 week low just a few days ago. And I think you could probably sell a put option and make money on it um, and say, hey, I want to buy 10,000 shares or 1,000 shares of this stock at $80 a share. Mm-hmm. And the key to that, to those options are if the stock drops to that number and you execute the option, you buy the stock at that pr- that share price. But I would be tickled pink to buy Disney at $80 a share. Yeah, me too. <laughs> right, right. So I would, uh, I would look at doing that with that money, create sort of a, an investment fund that we're going to use for very creative investing. Uh, the third thing I would do is I would put a hundred grand into a syndication and a syndication is a, you know, a multifamily, uh, property could be in the Sunbelt state somewhere, Arizona, Texas, South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, somewhere in there. Um, and there are a lot of companies out there that will allow you to put a hundred thousand dollars in an investment and get somewhere between a nine and 14% return on that investment. Um, so that would be a safe, relatively safe, stable, secure investment. Right. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I would do with a hundred grand is I would buy YouTube ads and drive all of that traffic to the sites that are generating revenue for me. Um, and you know, this as well as anyone, when, when you, start a media business, which your YouTube channel is and people's Instagram feed is, um, figure out how to monetize it. And then any extra money, if it's being used to deploy to that business to generate more revenue, there's no greater wealth building tool than a business. And so, you know, a hundred grand could be 110 next year if I put it in a syndication, but a hundred grand could be 500 grand if I put it in a business. Yeah. And so, you know, making some really strategic moves that way would be a fourth option. That fourth option that you just talked about, I mean, that was a defining feature for me in terms of uh, as a high school teacher, uh, everybody goes out and seems to get their master's degree because they get paid yeah. more, they get more in their um, uh, retirement fund, et cetera. Right. So yep. it seems to be the logical thing to do. But for me, two years, three years ago now, I guess, when I was looking at it, I'm like, it's going to result in this much. I think it was like $6,000 a year more in my salary. Right. And then whatever it was in my retirement seems like a long ways away. I didn't yep. look into it that much. I was looking at that yearly increase that I would have if I went and yep. got my master's. It would take a year and a half, two years to get my master's degree. What would that cost, et cetera. I did the math. It was really easy to solve. But then for me, it's like, no, I'm very passionate about learning these things that I'm learning about. I'm very passionate about sharing these things that I learn about as well on YouTube and my podcast and the different places I do it. Why not take that time that I would be doing that and invest that in a business? And for me, as someone who is an employee, but also has a business with infinite earning potential where I can literally do and talk about whatever, wherever, however I want. Um, Oh, it just seems so good. So I really like all those options, but that fourth option especially is one for me (laughs) that it just makes so much sense and I wish more people would take advantage of. Um, Those four options are also, uh, the put option one especially kind of triggered something in me. Like there's so many people that are calling for and obviously saying that we're in a recession, but like, calling for economic uncertainty and some yeah. tremendous financial opportunities for people to take advantage of yeah. in the coming months, in the coming years, if they are prepared. So like, is that where you see us going? Um, I know that's that's a big question. I don't think I've ever asked anybody a, qu- a prediction question like that. So yeah. I mean, say what you want with that, but more so how can people prepare for that next thing to come? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a great question. It's been actually a topic of conversation among clients of mine, among my friends, uh, you know, I'm studying macroeconomics all the time, trying to figure out where, you know, where is the wind blowing? Um, I probably the best answer I could give to this, Matt is I think that 
the the housing market will be a leading indicator or maybe a lagging indicator of where we're headed mm -hmm. um, for one main reason. And that is that as, as home sales and certainly home starts, new home builds, as those begin to decline, and right now we're in a period where I think homes are sitting on the market now for 60, 90, 120 days, right. where before it, you'd be hard pressed to find a home three days in that wasn't already under contract. Yes. So things have normalized and maybe the, the pendulum has swung even a little bit farther, but every time a new home is sold or a, a, a new build is started, there's about 40 to $60,000 that's injected into the local economy. And it could be through mortgage origination. It could be buying furniture. It could be paying subcontractors, you know, whatever it is, there's a certain amount of money that's injected into the economy. Mm -hmm. And because the housing market has slowed down and it's slowed down on purpose by the fed, right? I mean, they have yep. raised interest rates to, to begin to slow down the economy. Um, effectively what's happening or what will happen is there will be a, a slower trickle of money into the economy. And I think that's probably going to hit later in the year in 2023. We won't notice it right away. Mm. So there it could be more of a lagging indicator. Okay. Um, but I think the end of 2023 and into 2024 will be a little bit of a reckoning for some people. Yeah. And it really depends on, will the government step in? And I'm talking about the U.S. at this point. Yep. But will the U.S. government step in, print more money, save people? You know, the, the challenge is that the medicine always becomes the poison. So if we believe that markets are efficient and that will, they will correct themselves, then we, we let this thing play out and we probably will have a recession, but we'll come out of it and everything will be fine. If the government decides to stick its head in and and you know uh, adjust things would be a, a i don't know a pleasant polite way of saying it um you know if they adjust things then we could be right back in the same situation that we're in in three years right um so here's what i would say to to your listeners who may be fearful of an of a coming economic recession if you're if you're an employee and you're in a job and your job is tenuous, like you, you may be fired from your job or you may be let go, laid off, whatever. Then what I would encourage you to do is exactly what Matt was talking about doing. And that is build a side business that allows you to get interested and excited about something while you have a, a job, a W-2 income, so that should something happen to the job, you can quickly pivot and pour all your energy into that business if, if it makes sense to do so. Um, I think the, the majority of people out there, Matt, they're nervous because, well, because of uncertainty, but deep down, it might be this thought of like, well, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to, uh, you know, foot the bill for retirement? How will I take that trip or do the housework we are going to do? And candidly, when times are really good, like they have been over the past few years, my hope would be that people would actually prep themselves for the times that are going to be challenging because this pendulum is always swinging back and forth. Um, so for me personally, not a concern because our, our expenses are so crazy low every month. I know I need to get about one speaking gig a month to do it. There's, right. there's money coming in from other investments that just about covers everything anyway. So, you know, the, the goal of your show, the goal of the system, the goal of people pursuing financial freedom is to get to a point where, I don't care about recessions. Recessions don't impact us. You know, mm -hmm. that's really what we should be trying to create in our world is just the idea that, yeah, so it's a recession, but it just doesn't impact me the way it does other people. And I'm glad that you shared that because um, so many people uh, would find themselves in the middle of a recession wanting to take advantage of those opportunities, but they don't have what they need at that yeah. time. So, right. Uh, it, even though times have been good and are good, again, preparing for those times to that when they aren't going to be good, how can you put yourself in the best situation possible? I think yes. that's something that um, the way you said that for me, uh, obviously I've known and I've been investigating and I'm building up my side business and the different yep. streams of income I have for the that reason. But again, you just reiterated it, that it, it is so important. So let's say times go down um housing prices fall down i buy a yeah. house 
you used the shred method and you used your own techniques to pay off your house and other sorts of debt, um, I believe, in a very fast time. Like, yeah. let's say I bought a house. How does the shred method work exactly? Yeah. So I'm going to use your, your YouTube income example. Okay. That'd be all right. Yeah. So let's say that you, you buy a house, you get a, a, a great discount on a house here in the next 12 months, it's total sidebar comment, but I think there will be a lot of discounts on homes in the next 12 months. Yeah. So people who are interested in investing, it's going to be a good time to do it here mm -hmm. come the end of the year, maybe third quarter. Um, so here's what you do. You're going to have a line of credit, Matt. So in, in the US, it'd be a home equity line of credit, a HELOC, mm -hmm. but you could just as easily use a line of credit, personal line of credit, business line of credit. Candidly, it could be a savings account. Right. And what you're going to do is all of your income is going to cycle through that LOC, that line of credit. So if, is this house one you're living in or one you're renting? Yeah. Let's say like a primary household. Primary. Yep. yep. So this primary home has a mortgage payment. You're going to pay it every month dutifully, but all of the other income that you have coming in is going into this line of credit. And so the, the shred method is powered by a piece of software that does math for you that it's based on a complex algorithm that tells you how much to send and when okay. to your mortgage to knock out your mortgage in record time. And effectively what happens is the system would tell you based on this killer month you had on YouTube revenue, you know, you had an extra 1500 or 2,500 or whatever the number is, mm -hmm. it was going to tell you to send maybe $2,893 and 33 cents from your line of credit to your mortgage. And every time you do that, what you're doing effectively is you're chipping away at the amortization table of that mortgage. So instead of 360 payments, when you make a $3,000 one-time lump sum payment, now it's not 360. Now you're making 345 payments. Okay. And then you're going to make, you know, 320 payments on the next one. Um, and every time we take a huge chunk out of the mortgage, what you're doing is you're saving thousands and in most cases, tens of thousands of dollars in mortgage interest that you would otherwise spend on the front end of that mortgage. Okay. And this is the brilliant part. You don't really have to pay it all off. You know, there's a lot of people out there, clients of ours, even that will say, I just can't wait till I pay my mortgage completely off. And I'll use our, our uh, example as a case study. So we had a $200,000 mortgage within about a year and three months, we shredded it down to $90,000. And then we called the bank and said, can we just, uh, can we uh, re-index or um, recast the mortgage? Mm -hmm. And when you recast the mortgage, I still have 28 and a half years left but now they're going to recast it as a 28 and a half year mortgage at 90,000. So my payment is $400 a month or something like that. Right. So, you know, we end up having far more than that coming in and massive passive permanent streams of income. So I don't really care about paying the house off per se, but what I want to do is I want to control that payment to get it as ridiculously low as possible mm -hmm. while still having full control of the equity in the home, which creates liquidity for me to do investments elsewhere. All right. I, my brain is going a million <laughs> places right now. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to talk to some of my friends who do own quite a bit of real estate. My grandfather is someone who, um, he just through hard work was able to acquire a, a lot of real estate in the area that yeah. we live. And this is a totally different method than what he used. I can guarantee totally. that right totally. now. It seems, oh man, uh, if I'm not a numbers person, I am, yeah. but if I'm not a numbers person, like how do I know how much to contribute? Yeah. Uh, so this is a great question and a, a, a question, a sister question that comes up when that is asked is, can I do this on my own without using the software or the system, right? The shred method is really a mindset. It's a methodology. The software will do the calculation for you to make sure that your, your cash flow coming through your household is as efficiently used as possible, mm -hmm. right? Because the, for most people, and, and uh, you might be in this boat, Matt, that when we get paid, money goes into our checking account and it sits there and it will sit there until we spend it or send it out or invest it or whatever, but it will sit there. 
And while it's sitting there, what do you think the bank is doing with it? The bank is using it. The bank's using it. They're leveraging it. They're putting it to work in other people's credit cards and car loans and everything else, right? Yeah. So if you're not a numbers person, and maybe what I just described is hard to grasp, let me explain it this way. If you were to leave your house at eight in the morning on a Friday, knowing you were going to go to the grocery store and then come back home right away, but you have to hit the post office at three or 4 PM in the afternoon, would you leave your car idling in the driveway all day long? No. <laughs> and why wouldn't you? Uh, cause I like my money to be able to use, be used for something and not just paying for gas. There you go. It's when inefficient. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's inefficient hard on the engine, hard on the environment. Somebody might steal your car, right? All these things come up. Right. Well, we leave money sitting in a checking or a savings or a money market account for days or weeks or months and sometimes years on end. All the while, we're paying compound interest or amortized interest mm -hmm. on all these debts that actually could be knocked out far faster and we'd still have access to the money mm -hmm. because we'd have a line of credit against whatever that thing was. And so the, the mental switch that was flipped for me, Matt, was I actually don't care if I have money in my checking account because I don't need it there. Right. What I care about is do I have access to that money somewhere? And the somewhere actually turned into multiple somewheres. It was the equity in my home. It was the money in my cash value life insurance policy. It's uh, a line of credit I have on my business that I have access to at any time. Right. So, so long as I have access to the money, do I really need it sitting there if I've got debts elsewhere that are costing me a fortune? Um, because, and, I, and I've said this on a number of uh, shows, podcasts to other people, the two greatest expenses we have in life are taxes and the interest expense on debt. Yes. And if we realize that we can actually control both of those fairly well, um, you got to get somewhat savvy, listen to more of your episodes. Um, talk about business, talk about how to turn, you know, normal, ordinary personal expenses into business expenses, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, the more you do that and the more you minimize the interest expense on debt, the easier financial freedom becomes. And for me, it was about a six year journey to realize like, oh, this, this is actually like a video game. You can't lose when you figure it out. I, I think that when you explain this idea of the shred method, it's like, that's why I said my mind's going a million different places because it makes sense. It makes sense what yeah. you're saying, but here I am never heard anything like that before. Yeah. Why not? And, and for yeah, me, great question. Uh, a passion of mine is, is teaching and what I do, I teach high school. And if someone had said to me, even let's just talk about something simple. Like I knew because of my parents' influence, like I need to save money. And so yeah. that's why I always had money in my bank account, but my money was never growing and it yeah. was the same, the same, the same. And I talk about that because that's where I came from. Yes. But what you're talking about makes so much sense. Obviously, uh, there's a learning curve to it, but again, why, why do people not, why aren't people introduced to these things? Yeah. Or specifically, if I look at my role as a teacher, how can young people learn these things? How can young people become, develop good relationships with their money, uh, yeah. whether or not they had that influence at home? What are some things you think they could do or they could learn from, or somebody like me in my role could yeah. help them get to that point? You know, it, it really, like you're well poised to share with your students <clears throat> some new and innovative ideas on how to make money. Mm -hmm. Um, even using your example is, is kind of profound. So I'm, I'm going to speculate here, Matt, but your folks, um, likely grew up in households where money was maybe scarce or hard to come by. So uh, yeah. even if it was yes. like grandparents went through great depression or remember stories about the great depression and, um, what happens is, you know, our, my grandparents who remember the great depression told my dad, save your money, never know when you're going to need it, save for a rainy day, you know, put that money aside. My grandma would used to say, oh, if you can get 3%, take it all day long, right, on your money. And she probably looked like a genius in this market. But, right. but <laughs> my dad, my dad, 
you know, he, he realized that's what he was hearing, but then he went through the eighties where like money was kind of free flowing and he, had, he was, he was a young upperly mobile professional for a while, you know, and then he was a dank dual income, no kids. Yeah. And then he was uh sitcom family, single income, two children, oppressive mortgage. And what he started to teach me was different than what his dad taught him and so on and so forth. So your, your folks may have unintentionally given you the idea that having money in the bank is safe and secure and you want it there because then you know it's there when you need it. Yeah. And then my dad blew my mind in 2008, 2009. I had just graduated high school, moving into university. And yeah. my dad's like, well, I mean, what if you go to the bank and they don't have your money? And I'm like, what? Yeah, that what can are happen. What talking about? It's my money. <laughs> So I needed to jump in there because that was a, a, a life-changing conversation that I look at now and I've totally. looked at since then. And since I got serious about my money, it was like, totally. that makes no sense to me. And, and you know what? He may have been more profoundly correct than any of us could imagine. If anything had changed in the way that 0809 went down, mm -hmm. and it was particularly around when... Um, Oh, the large insurance company that had, that had basically, you know, they had, they had leveraged so much, um, in derivatives and all of that on all of the debt that had been taken on that AIG, I think it was that it, that the whole system was going to collapse banks included. And, you know, luckily, uh, higher power stepped in and figured things out, but, but we were really, really close to, to a global economic meltdown in that point in time. Yeah. So I don't, totally disagree with that. Like, I think th there, the funds are insured, you know, money that sits in a bank are insured up to a certain amount. Mm -hmm. Um, but who is to guarantee that the insurance company that guarantees those is solvent at some point. Right. And candidly, that's part of the reason for me that, um, that I really like the infinite banking concept is, you know, these policies are held. My money is held in insurance companies, mutual insurance companies that are a hundred plus years old. And um, they've been doing this for a century with some of the wealthiest families in the world. Um, so if they are doing it, I might, you know, we all might want to take a look into it and see if it's worth doing. Yeah. And that's something that I personally have heard in the last year, infinite banking. And, yep. and uh, I've been meaning to legitimately have a podcast episode, not that I know anything about it, but I would have to have somebody else, um, to discuss and walk me through yeah. that. So essentially, I mean, the the Cliff Notes version or whatever that summary um, yeah. <laughs> software is, infinite banking, like in a, a one or two minute thing, how does it work? Yeah. So infinite banking, a lot of people are familiar with, with uh, the difference between whole life insurance and term life insurance. Okay. So term life insurance is you buy it for 20 years or 30 years, when it expires, it expires. There's no value to it. You're no longer insured, uh, may not be insurable at the end of that, that sequence. Whereas a whole life policy, it begins to grow in cash value. Once you have a whole life policy, you're always insurable. So if you are, you become ill, contract some illness at some point, the insurance policy is still in place and you're still insurable. Um, the difference between the two and how we use whole life insurance as an infinite banking policy is you actually overfund the whole life policy. So the premium can be anything you want it to be. It could be a thousand, it could be 25,000 or 50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But essentially what you're doing is you're, you're overfunding that policy. So you're buying a smaller amount of insurance, but creating a large cash value in the policy itself. Okay. And you're doing that up to a certain limit, what's called a MEC limit. And MEC stands for modified endowment contract. So once you cross over the MEC limit, it's no longer an insurance policy. Now it's an investment vehicle. The, the real key to these working is twofold. Number one, you can borrow money out of the policy for the things that you want to use it for. So it could be to buy a car. It could be to pay for school. It could be to invest in real estate. And um, when you borrow money out of the policy, you are borrowing it from the insurance company using your policy as collateral. Right. So whatever you have in the policy is still growing. It's still getting paid dividends and interest and all of that. 
So the advantage to someone who owns a policy is I could borrow, I could go out tomorrow, Matt, and borrow $30,000 out of my policy and go buy a new car and not have a payment on my car, right? Because it doesn't require that I pay it back at any specific period. Okay. I'm, I will owe 30 grand back at some point to that policy if I want it to continue to grow. But I might do that in bit in fits and starts and waves, right? If I get a, have a big month, I might throw 10 grand over there and pay that, pay that loan back. Um, but all the while the $30,000 I borrowed out is still earning a dividend and it's still getting an interest rate on it. So I might borrow it out at 5%, but I'm earning 6% say on it. So I'm money ahead on that policy. Hmm. Um, and in addition, I've still got a death benefit. Should something happen to me? It's got writers like long-term care. Um, God forbid I ever have to go into a nursing home. You can start to draw against the death benefit of the policy to pay for that. So there's lots of added value and benefits to the policies, but the way that they're engineered is really to use as more of like an investment vehicle. Right. Yeah. You, you have literally like, this has been percolating in my mind as I've heard about it in bits and pieces over the last year, like I said, and you've literally like the gasoline has been laid down. You just flew the, uh, flicked the match into that. And like, I've got some reading to do. I've got some videos and podcasts to listen to. Uh, this is something that, uh, as you explained, like, again, it just, I, I see it. I see it happening. I see it yeah. unfolding and it's I see so how powerful, I can use man. it. It's so powerful. It, and there's a lot of people out there, the, you know, they're on AM radio and IPTV that will say, this is not a, it's not an investment and, right. or they'll slam it as being a scam or whatever. It, it, it it absolutely depends on who you're buying them through because they have to be structured a certain way that you can in, in building the cash value, you're doing it quickly and you're doing it in the most effective way possible from an insurance standpoint. So you want to work with someone who knows what they're doing. That's the first thing. Right. The second thing about, you know, that, that this is not a good investment. You're right. It, it may be a better investment to put your money in the S and P 500 or in, you know, in something else, an annuity, but it's not really done as an investment. It's done. So you have access to the capital so that you can make investments and not have to have a payment necessarily. Hmm. You know, like as an example, I could take, I could take 90 grand out of the policy, pay off my mortgage entirely and just say, yeah, I don't have a mortgage payment. Yeah. I, when I get money, I send it back to the policy and we're going to refill that bucket. Right. But when I have full control over that payment, wow. I mean, it's like, all sorts of things are possible. And and that goes back to when you were talking, I was thinking about uh, my car payment as an example, right? Yeah. Um, I can take that $500 a month and I could invest that $500 Precisely. a month. And yep. I would much rather invest because I look at uh, what I was doing with that money before I had my car payment coming yep. through and what I was doing with the money after I've had my car payment right. be going through. And so for me, it's like, $500 a month. That's an extra 6,000 a year. I yeah. can turn that into 20, 30, whatever. Right. Yep. Um, so oy, I'm going a million different places right now. So this you're going to love this. this been great. Yeah, you're going to love it. Yeah. Cool. No, I appreciate that. I'm, I think I'm going to have to save infinite banking for another episode as I'm able to learn and research and do some uh, more thinking on my own. But Adam, I just want to say that I really appreciate you jumping on here today. Um, for anybody that is interested in, in learning more about the Shred Method, about financial freedom, about infinite banking and the other things that you talk about, yeah. uh, can you tell us where people can connect with you to learn more? Yeah, the best the best place to go is theshredmethod.com. And on our site, we have a masterclass that you can take that will literally spell out for you how the math works and, and uh, the how and the why and the what in terms of the shred method itself. Um, you know, if you want more information on me, uh, the best place to go is Adam Carroll. That's two R's, two L's dot info, Adam Carroll dot info. Um, dot com is a singer songwriter out of Austin, Texas, who I've yet to meet yet, but, uh, he seems like a really cool guy. Um, so Adam Carroll dot info for more information on me and Matt, I'm always open to answer people's questions best place to do that is generally just to send me a, a direct message on Instagram. And um, my Instagram handle is Adam.carol, two R's, two L's. 
Awesome. And for everybody watching this right now or listening to this, um, I will leave all of those links down in the video description or in the podcast description so that you don't have to look very hard for those links that Adam uh, shared with us there today. So uh, Adam, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks again. Um, if you like what you heard on today's podcast episode and want to learn more about how you can live a life full of financial freedom and purpose, please subscribe to the Financial Freedom System YouTube channel and visit www.financialfreedomsystem.com to sign up for our free five days to financial freedom course. Thanks for listening. See everybody later.